the spirit that now worketh in the children, say this little word with me, disobedience. So in verse number 2, underline that word, disobedience. Verse number 3, among whom also you had your conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and of the mind. Beside of that little phrase, write down the word defiled. Defiled. According to the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And I promise you, outside of the grace of God, there's nothing God-pleasing about that at all. Defiled. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And beside of that phrase, write down the word doomed. Because, ladies and gentlemen, because of man's dead in sin, his disobedience to God, the, the defilement of his flesh and of his mind, there's only one thing that can come as a result of that, and that's doom and destruction. By the way, that's where the world is tonight, outside of the grace of God. And before you get too pumped up with religious pride, that's where we all were. Before the grace of God came into our life. Dead. Disobedience. Defiled. And doomed. Now come to verse number 4. And it begins with a conjunction. And not just a conjunction, but what I call a heavenly conjunction. But God. And I don't have to read the rest of this to tell you business is going to pick up. The light's going to shine. Grace is going to be manifested. And a vast difference is going to be made because of that one phrase. But God. God's going to butt in. And when God butts in, things begin to change. In fact, if verse 1, 2, and 3 was the end of the story, we would all still be dead in trespasses and our sin. And hell would be our home. Verse 4, but God. What a difference. What a divine manifestation. What a divine initiative. But God. Man would still be in verse 1. He'd still be in verse 2. He would still be in verse 3. But God. In fact, the only reason why you're in a church house on Sunday night, not a bar room on Sunday night, but God. In fact, I think I'll say it this way. The reason why you're in church tonight and some people are sitting at home tonight, but God. Verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy. Hallelujah. The only hope for people in verse 1, 2, and 3 is a God of mercy. But God, who is not only merciful, but rich in mercy. For his great love. Have you noticed not just love, but great love. Not just mercy, but rich 
in mercy. Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherein he hath loved us. Underline that little phrase tonight. He hath loved us. And can I just say tonight, only God and and only but God could love those in verse 1. Those in verse 2. Those in verse 3. I don't see anything in verse 1, 2, or 3 that merits, that deserves, that earns the love of God. But in spite of verse 1, in spite of verse 2, in spite of verse 3, He loved us. And that love is based in nothing more than the God, not only of mercy, who is rich in mercy. So you have rich mercy, you have great love. Look in verse number 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us. Not only has He loved us, but He hath quickened us. That word means to be made alive. Causing that which is dead to come out of the domain of death into the realm of life. And so not only did He love us, but He has given us life. And the only kind of life God gives a believer is everlasting life, abundant life, and eternal life. Even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. And I love the emphasis these parentheses bring in this verse. And this is the only way it can come. By grace. Ye are saved. What a manifestation of the grace of God. That those that were dead, those that were disobedient, those that were defiled, those that were doomed, got mercy. They got love. And I promise you it's nothing man could do to merit that that is wrapped in the gift of the grace of God. I've often heard it said that there's no real, sure definition for grace. Some people say it means God's unmerited favor toward man. Some means God's riches at Christ's expense. My hero brother Sammy Allen said, everything for nothing. But I'll, I'll, I'll say this tonight, there may not be a definite definition of grace. But throughout the Word of God, and especially in this text, there is a wonderful, divine, sovereign demonstration and manifestation of this grace. You want to see the grace of God in action? That God could love and God could have mercy on you and I in verse 1 and verse 2 and verse number 3. And not only to love us, but give us life, because He quickened us by grace. But come down now to verse number 6. And hath raised us. 
Notice in verse 4, He loved us. Verse number 5, He quickened us. Now, verse number 6, He hath raised us because of rich mercy and great love and manifested grace. He not only has loved us, He has not only given us life, but according to this verse, He has lifted us. And I'm got the grace of God that is life-giving and the grace of God that is love-bringing is the grace of God that is lifting grace. Grace has lifted you and I. When you lift somebody up, you bring them out of something and you bring them to a plateau or a dimension they could not reach upon their own. Someone said, well, Brother Joe, what is the grace of God lifted us out of? Well, verse 1, he's lifted us out of spiritual death. We're no longer dead, but we've been lifted out of spiritual death. What did he lift us out of? In verse number 2, he lifted us out of a life of disobedience. We're not living in disobedience anymore. We're living according to the dictates of the Holy Ghost in your life and in mine. He lifted us in verse 3 out of defilement. I am no longer defiled. I'm no longer rotten before God. You say, you bragging on yourself? No, I'm bragging on the grace of God. You say, well, if we're not no longer ragged and wicked and lost and defiled, what are we? The Bible said justified, made righteous, hallelujah, how the grace of God loved us, gave us life, and have lifted us, and have raised us up together. Whoop! Look at verse number 6. And made us. Verse number 4, He loved us. Verse number 5, He quickened us. Verse number 6, he raised us, verse number 6, and hath made us. What did He make us to do? He made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's going to take us to heaven someday, but right now He's put a little heaven in our souls. Because He has not only loved us and given us life and lifted us, but He has labeled us and called us sons of God, and He has lavished us by putting a foretaste of heaven down in our soul. Do you know where we are positionally? We're already seated together in heaven through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say it like this. You can tell me to go to you know where all you want to, but I can't. Because positionally speaking, my name is already in heaven. My citizenship is in heaven. My reward is in heaven. My anchor is in heaven. My advocate is in heaven. My heart's already in heaven. And one day, praise God, the body's going to be in heaven. And our position is going to catch up with our condition. And we'll not only be justified, sanctified, but glorified. 
Man, don't you love the Bible? Hallelujah. I'm talking about the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Verse number 7. That in the ages to come. It's like Paul stops and says, and if you think that's something, you ain't saying nothing yet. Brother Paul is saying like, you know, we were dead, but we're not. We were disobedient, but we're not. We were defiled, but we're not. We were doomed for hell, but we're not. What are we? We've been lifted. We've been loved. We've been lavished. We've been labeled. <laughs> and he said, and if you think that's something, you ain't seen nothing yet. He said, that's just what he's done now. Wait till you see what else he's going to do. And I want to say two things about that. I'm glad when we get to heaven, we're going to praise God for what he's done. But listen, there ain't nothing wrong with what he's done right now. Up to verse number 7, all of these are present blessings. All the things he has done from us, from verse 4 to verse number 6, since he has butted in, is what he's done for us now. He loves me now. He lifted me now. I'm alive now. I'm saved now. I've been raised now. God's done it now. And I think he is worthy of a hallelujah and an amen and a glory to God because of what he's done now. But you ain't seen nothing yet. Verse 7, that in the ages to come. Oh, Lord, have mercy. What could be better than this, Paul? What else is God going to let us in on? That in the ages to come, He may show forth the exceeding riches of His grace. You mean, Paul, there's more to this grace? There's more to this mercy. God's going to show off more of His excellence. Paul, He raised me from spiritual deadness. What could be more? Paul, He got me out of defilement, disobedience, and doom and destruction. He lifted me. He loved me. He lavished me. He labeled me. Paul, what could God do any more than that? He said, and then the ages to come. He will show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us. Here it is, through Christ Jesus. In other words, this is just a little something what God has done. And He will continue to do it forever and forever and forever. And as long as eternity rolls, the church of Jesus Christ will be a depository of the mercy and love and the grace of God. And every time we see one another in heaven, it will remind us of mercy, grace, love, salvation forever. Hallelujah. A perpetual testimony of the greatness of God. That in the ages to come, 
He'll show the exceeding riches of His grace and kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And I love what He says in verse 8. For by grace. Can I say that's the only way? For by grace. For by grace are you saved. Watch this now. Through faith. Now, if you're a Calvinist, you'll put faith before grace. But if you're a Bible believer, you'll put grace before faith. Because none of us would have any faith. None of us would have any trust. None of us would have any hope. But God in grace. Woo! Hallelujah. I don't preach, ladies and gentlemen, that we got regenerated so we could believe. No. Regeneration does not come before faith. That's a Calvinist doctrine. We believe that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And because we heard and were constrained and convicted, we believe and that's when we were made alive. We may get some hateful comments, but that's okay. That is what the Bible teaches. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace, then faith. Mm. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You say, well, there the Calvinists have got you again. Faith is a gift of God. Yeah, and so is grace. Grace and faith are inseparable in verse number 8. You can't have one without the other. And grace and faith is the gift of God. You say, what's the world's greatest gift? Well, are you ready? That Christ died for our sins. And that he looked beyond verse 1, our deadness. And looked beyond verse 2, our disobedience. And looked beyond verse 3, our defilement. And looked beyond verse number 4, and our doom and destruction. And Christ died for us with nothing to offer God in return. That's grace. And that is a great gift. And then to have the faith to believe that and trust that and respond to that. Hallelujah for God's unspeakable gift. Woo! That it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I love it. Look in verse number 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had foreordained that we should walk in them. Watch verse number 11. Wherefore remember. And I want to say to Paul, how could we ever forget? How could we? Ever forget. Born, raised, lived, and almost died in verse 1, 2, and 3. But God. But God. 
But God got us out of verse 1, out of verse 2, out of verse 3, and loved us, lifted us, labeled us, lavished us, given us life. And this is just the beginning, and only heaven will eternally reveal the full effects of God's mercy, God's grace, and God's love. And it's by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not of ourselves. And Paul said, don't forget that. Remember. And I want to say, how could we ever forget? Remember what, Paul, verse 11? That being in times past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by which we are called circumcision, in the flesh made by hands, that that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. Don't ever forget where you came from. Verse 13, he butts in again. But now, but now, but now, Oh, what are you up to? But now in Christ Jesus, ye, mm, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath both won and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. What did Calvary do? Having abolished in the flesh the enemy, even the law of commandments contained in ordinance, for to make himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enemy thereby, and came and preached unto you which were far off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit into the, unto the Father. Lord, I mercy, I love the Bible. Now therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens, and of the household of faith. You say, Brother Joe, how does somebody go from being dead in sin, lost without God, defiled and wicked and doomed for hell, to a fellow citizen, the household of faith, into the family of God, and have a wonderful future in heaven? I'm glad you asked. You ready? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that grace is based in rich mercy, great love, and the blood of the cross. And all of that is possible tonight because of that one line, but God, but God, the first part of your life, it's you. But I'm glad when you got saved, the rest of it's but God. I love the law of first mention. 
when something happens for the very first time in the Bible. And when did God butt in man's business for the first time? Well, you got to go to the first book, the seed plot of the Bible. And you go to that sixth chapter. And you start reading Genesis chapter 6 verse 1. And man, them first seven verses is as bad as the first four verses of Ephesians 2. In fact, it's like they mirror one another. Well, how bad was it in Genesis chapter 6 verse 1 through 7? Real bad. Sinful. Wicked. Ungodly. In fact, man's only imagination was continually evil. It was so bad that God had changed his mind and said, the world would have been a better place if I hadn't have made any man to live in it. And I'll destroy it and I'll wipe them all out and we'll start over again. Yeah. But Noah, verse number 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. First time God butted in. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The world is wicked. It's headed for the flood. It's headed for the Andalusian judgment. God's given up on the human race. Gonna wipe them all off of the face of the earth. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God showed him the boat, and God showed him the ark, and God showed him the rainbow, and God showed him the dove, and God showed him the altar. And on the other side of Andalusian judgment, they come off the top of that ark on the top of the mountain, and the human race was preserved because one man in the midst of wickedness, but Noah, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And by the way, the only reason why anybody won't ever taste the flames of hell and experience the out of Darkness and the ultimate doom of sinners one day, but, 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 but we found grace in the eyes of the Lord and grace changed everything. Because hmm. God butted in and I found out all through the Bible, mankind is redeemed and saved because God butted in. I love the book of Romans. We call the book of Romans the Romans road, God's simple plan of salvation. And it pretty much does tell the story. I'm glad it's not the only book in the Bible, but if it was, it'd be enough to keep you and me out of hell. In chapter 3, it tells us some real bad news. What is that? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Chapter 5 didn't get any better. It says, death is passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And it looks like chapter 6, it's going to nail another nail in the coffin. For the wages of sin is death. And by the way, God told the truth in chapter 3. God told the truth in chapter 5. And he told the truth in chapter number 6. Just like Ephesians verses 1, 2, and 3 says, we're dead, we're defiled, we're doomed. 
Just like the first seven verses of Genesis 6, lost, wicked, messed up, God's repented that he's made man. Romans 3, all have sinned. Romans 5, sin brings death. Chapter number 6, the wages, the result of sin is death, ultimate eternal death, and it leaves us hanging on the edge of the abyss. Read the rest of chapter 6, verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. But the gift of God, Lord have mercy, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has butted in. Again, First Corinthians 6, they're questioning who can go to heaven, who cannot go to heaven. And Paul said, here's how strict the entry level is going to be. And in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, Paul takes the brush of inspiration and paints a very dark, dismal picture of all the sinners and ungodly, profane men that shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you look in those indictments, we're all there. Some of us brought up on multiple charges. Well, why would God make a beautiful place like heaven and nobody fit to live in it? He ain't done yet. But God. First Corinthians chapter 6 verse 11, it names the sinners, the adulterers, the effeminate, the liars, the cheaters, the snuff dippers. I mean, they ain't none of them going. I mean, lays it out there. You ain't gonna go. You cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But before any of us can pull out our spiritual appeals, it says, And such were, past tense, some of you. And then he butts in three times. But ye are washed. But ye are justified. But you are sanctified. By the Holy Spirit in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I thought about this the other day. Have you ever wondered what your first word's going to be when you get to heaven? I mean, when you see Jesus for the first time, when you see heaven for the first time, when you walk in glory for the first time, have you ever wondered the first thing we'll say? Well... Probably a bunch of Baptists will go, Amen. A few holiness people might go, Hallelujah. Somebody from North Carolina will say, Glory to God. My crowd will go, Well, glory. My mama, Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Think about what you're going to say. Some of you are going to say, Well, I made it. <laughs> And you might be surprised that you're there and somebody beside of you. Brother John, this hit me. I wouldn't be surprised when we all get to heaven 
It may not be a well glory. It may not be an amen. It may not be a hallelujah. It may not be thank you, Jesus. It might not be whoo. It wouldn't surprise me at all if the ransomed church of the living God breaks out in one mighty chorus and says, But God! But God. Because that's why we're going to be there. But God. Because God budded in and we believed His Word and trusted Him as our Lord and Savior. How many believe tonight that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Because whether we want to admit it or not, our life and our eternal destiny is made up of those three tenses. Yesterday, today, the future, forever. And you don't have to raise your hand, but how many remember... I messed up you were yesterday. Your past. And things are different now today than they were yesterday. And I used to love to hear the old timers say, I may not be what I ought to be, but hallelujah, I am not what I'm going to be. And can I tell you, for our past, I see the grace of God. For our present, I see the grace of God. And for our future, I see the grace of God. Ephesians chapter number 2 covers our past, our yesterday. We were dead. We were disobedient. We were defiled. We were doomed. But our present now, we're loved. We're saved. We're lifted. But it even tells us of our future, that in the ages to come, God will continually, eternally show through the ransom church of God His kindness, His love, and His mercy. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I don't believe anybody is going to be in heaven bragging about being a Baptist, being a Methodist, being a Presbyterian, being white, being black, being brown, being green, being yellow. I don't think anybody's going to be in heaven bragging about some kind of creed or some kind of deed that they have done, how good they were, how great they were, how deserving they are. No, no, no. But in heaven forever, they'll realize, if God hadn't abutted in my life, I wouldn't be here. Hallelujah, what a Savior. We'll be there because of Him. Back a couple of months ago when I was preaching through Revelation and I was preaching about heaven and I was preaching on the sights and the sounds of the city. I got home that afternoon and I realized, oh my, I forgot my best point. I I just got so caught up in the sights and sounds of heaven. I realized, oh my, I didn't give them my best point. And, and it hit me. You remember that day we talked about walls of jasper, gates of pearl, streets of gold. We talked about the foundations of the city and how that everything there is made by God's own hands. But it hit me. There is something in heaven 
that was not made by the hands of God. There is something in heaven made and put there by the hands of wicked, sinful man. Oh, Brother Joe, what could ever be among them golden streets and gates of pearl and walls of Jasper, a city built by the hands of God? What could ever be in heaven put there by the hands of sinful men? Well, John said, when I heard that great voice say, Look, behold, the Lamb of God. John said, I looked. And I saw the Lamb of God having been slain from the foundation of the world. And I believe, ladies and gentlemen, John saw the marks of Calvary in the body of that resurrected Christ. So therefore, I believe all through heaven, We will look upon the Lord Jesus Christ and see the marks and the wounds of Calvary. You say, Brother Joe, why would God do that? Because it will be an eternal reminder. We're there, but God. We don't deserve to be there, but God. We were not headed there, but God. We're not worthy to be there, but God. God, and I believe it would be a constant reminder we're there because of what he's done for you and I. I don't believe we're going to have to muster up any kind of praise when we see Jesus. I believe it would be so spontaneous that we will be wrapped up in the glory and the grace and the mercy of our God, we won't help but be able to say, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Let me ask you this tonight. I tell people this all the time, and most people don't agree with me, but I'm right. It doesn't matter how much you love somebody. It doesn't matter how much that person means to you. It doesn't matter how affectious you feel for them in your heart. If you never express that to that person. Through the years, I've had funerals of different church members. And I'd be at the house, the funeral home, and their family would say, Oh, Brother Joe, so-and-so. Really loved you. Boy, they talked about you preaching all the time. And man, they they just loved you, man. And they loved you preaching. And it was shocking to me. And I'm it, it was shocking to me. Because they never said it to me. They never said, Brother Joe, I love you. Brother Joe, I enjoy your preaching. Brother Joe, you're a blessing to me. And I'm glad it was. And I don't have to know that. But I mean, it was a shocker. I just thought they were there and sat through another one and went on about their business. I was glad to know they loved me. I was glad to know they enjoyed my preaching. I was glad to know that, man, they were really getting a blessing out of it, but I don't care how much they loved me, how much they didn't do me no good because I didn't hear it. 
I didn't see it. We used to have a fella come to church a years ago. He'd say, I told my wife I loved her the day that I got married. And I'll, I'll tell her something different when I change my mind. I bet things are real hot at your house. Probably real cold and it's going to get colder. Well, my wife knows I'll ever bless God. I'll make a living. Oh, hush. Amen. What good is it to love a child if you never tell them? There's one thing about where I'm at tonight with my mama. Hallelujah. In a few few moments, Julie and I are going to get on a plane. God willing, we're going to fly up there and Well, I'm blind. I'll walk in that room in the morning and I'll say, Mom, I love you. But Lord of God, I'm glad I didn't wait to then to do that. Yeah, man. What good is it? Joseph, Joanna, bless God. What good is it to love your old man if you don't tell him? Oh, thank you. Very crowded. If you don't be quiet, I'm going to come back and kill you, boy. <laughs> so all that, when, when that day you was born, that's what you were saying. Hey, Amen, I got it. But you understand the point I'm trying to make. What good is it if you don't show it and tell it? And can I tell you something? All through the Bible, God tells me He loves me. Well, aren't you glad on a hill far away? Woo! Had an old rugged cross. He proved it. He showed it. And we'll be there forever. Because of great love, rich grace, and the blood of the cross. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And while we stand together tonight, let's just come and do a course of that. To God be the glory. Great things He hath done and Can I just say this tonight? I don't know how you feel about it. I don't have any problem praising a Savior like that. I don't have any reservations serving a Savior like Him because of the great things He has done. I love the preacher's message this morning. That's our seed to take to a lost world and tell them about God's mercy, God's love, and God's grace. You believe He's worthy of our praise tonight and our service and our honor. What a mighty God and marvelous grace.